Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Whenever you're listening to this, you're listening to the On The Wall Podcast with your hosts, Cody, Hunter, and our ever-present sound guy, Logan. To start things off today, we want to memorialize Kobe Bryant on 824 in the year of his death. Obviously, 824 representing the two numbers that he wore, christened as Kobe Bryant Day. Just an iconic figure in the world of basketball, in the world of sports, and in, in the world itself. Just, you know, of course, he had some troubles, but... At the end of the day, he's a human being who had the respect and admiration of millions, and we want to honor him today, the day after his birthday on 824. Cody, anything to say about it? Uh, I just want to give a shout-out to the uh, L.A. City Council for naming the street beside Staples Center, the Kobe Bryant Boulevard. I think that's a good, a good look for them. And as we were talking earlier, they will name the court, the Kobe Bryant Court or something like that. Obviously, changing the name to Staples Center, that's a little bit harder deal, but I think maybe the court or even something outside would be nice if they would do that. An icon forever, we remember him today, Kobe Bryant. To start things off today, we're going to be talking about baseball, the current standings, some notable placements in the standings, and some notable players that have done just amazing things this week. Moving on into the NBA playoff picture and all the amazing things we've seen this weekend so far. So to start us off with the MLB, we have the standings. We have your leaders in the AL and L. So for the East and the AL, you have the Rays at 19-10. and 10. In the Western Division, the Oakland Athletics at 20-9. and 9. And in the Central Division, the Minnesota Twins at 19-10. and 10. So Cody and my two picks to win the World Series are both still leading their divisions. Yeah, Good to I see. like that to see that because they were kind of dark horses in our book at first. And, I mean, of course, the Twins and Athletics last year both played well, but no one really looked at them and said, hey, they're the team that's going to win the World Series this year. So taking, you know, dark horse shots and maybe we'll get lucky. I also like that the Rays are leading the division. Just their main uh, source of leading the division is being the Yankees kryptonite and beating them every time that they play pretty much. So that's an interesting setup for the battle in that division. And the Oakland Athletics at 29 have the second best record in baseball behind your Central Division leading NL team, the Los Angeles Dodgers at 22-8. and eight. Ridiculous. I mean, we knew they were going to be good. They've been good the past few years. There was, you know, got screwed out of one World Series with the Astros cheating scandal and whatnot. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to get it done. In the Western Division, you have your Chicago Cubs at 17-10. And, and in the East, you have the Braves at 16-12, and 12, which I am incredibly happy about. I listened to the game the other day. You had your announcers talk about how it's not necessarily too much of an outlier for any of the teams in the East to come back, except maybe the Phillies and the Nationals. The Braves aren't too far ahead. That's the good news for the NL East teams. The bad news for the NL East teams is we're only getting healthier. Looking for Nick Marcakis, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Ozzy Albies all to come back from injury here pretty soon. Ronald Acuna was on the field the other day, so you know his recovery is speedy. It's happening a lot faster than we thought it would, and we're just going to be happy to have him back to have that nice power and speed back up in the lineup. So some notable teams coming out of the AL, the Boston Red Sox at 9-20, and one of the worst records in baseball. Actually, I believe tied for the worst record in baseball with the Los Angeles Angels, 9-20. and Cody, you were talking about that earlier, talking about Mike Trout's situation over there. Uh, it's just sad to see. You know, uh, ever since I started following baseball, Mike Trout's probably been the best player in the league, if not. I mean, if you don't think he is, at worst, maybe second or third. And the team just does nothing. A few years ago, they had pool holes, and I thought that was going to give them a big boost and they just never even have been a threat in any way. I just think it's sad to watch a player like Trout's career go to waste, but at the end of the day, you know, he made the decision and re-up with the team, so maybe he's in there for the long run and they'll eventually turn a corner, but it's just sad to see talent waste away like that. It's always one of the worst things to watch. 
you know, and even in getting traded out of there, it's just so hard to do when your contract is worth $300 million. Like, those contracts in baseball, with how big they are now and the amount of years, like a lot of teams are just signing a guy all the way to he's close to like 40 years old, and by that time there's going to be fall-off and things like that, so it's hard to take that type of thing on. Maybe someone, you know, that's always good with spending a lot of money, like the Dodgers or the Yankees or, you know, even the Astros, someone like that, they might get swing something. You also have to have a lot of talent to send back or at least a capital and draft picks to even get Trout. So, you know, the Angels have a long way to go and they need to figure it out soon for their sake and my trust. Now, if you're a team owner or more specifically a general manager, what are the chances you sign somebody for a 10-, 12-year contract? Like, is it is it worth it? Well, here's the thing. Me, personally, of course, I can say no, I wouldn't. But the demand now with a couple players getting it, and, you know, that's like the breakthrough thing now, that's what most players want. They want a long contract with guaranteed money that covers them in case of an injury that would shorten their career and take a lot of their money away. So it's, it's all about how you, you know, make a pitch to someone when you have them in your office, when you're meeting with them and you want to bring them to your team. And maybe sometimes the only way you can get them is a contract like that. And you can't let a player go by the wayside if that's like your guy. So, I mean, I guess I would be very hesitant, but I would do it in the right time. Now, what about the amount of guaranteed money? You see a contract like Patrick Mahomes in the NFL who signed $500 million, but what was it, 480 or 470 million guaranteed? Yeah, I, I just think that's way too much guaranteed. I think you're putting way too much at the front of the table and you're just, you're giving them such a cop out if something does happen because you have to pay them that money. Yeah, I agree. It's something, it's one of those things where it's petrimont. So he was going to get that contract probably anywhere he goes. And of course, you never want to wish it on anyone. But the things like what happened to Alex Smith can happen to any quarterback. Because sometimes you are sitting there and you get a blindside guy coming off the defensive line that outweighs you by 150 pounds. And if it falls in your leg just right, you know, it could be potentially career ending. In which case, and on it, from a player's standpoint, it's great to have a guaranteed money because now you don't even have to play and you're getting paid. And I'm sure you would want to play, so it's not like you're trying to back out. But from a standpoint of like Kansas City, if that was to happen, then they would be in a really, really bad spot because now they have to pay all that money out and try to find a quarterback to come in for less money because they just can't afford it. Yeah, now I'm not too familiar with how salary caps end up over, but how much, does that eat into the salary cap if they have to pay him that money? I don't think it does, not if it's like an injury thing. I think that they just pay him for the rest of their, kind of like the guy that has the day every year from the MLB. Oh, Bobby O'Neill. Yeah, so the, that doesn't come out of that salary cap, but it still comes out of their, you know, it comes from their owner, it comes from wherever. It's still money that the willingness to go over the salary cap and would come back a lot more because you're already paying that much money outside of the salary cap. So then the, the salary cap becomes more hard, you know what I'm saying? It makes it a lot harder for you to commit to anyone and say, hey, you know, we'll take a little luxury hit because you're already having to pay out this player with that X amount of money over here. Uh, so large contracts abundant in sports these days, multiple $300 million contracts, Mike Trout, Manny Machado in the MLB, Patrick Mahomes in the NFL, and you're seeing all sorts of large contracts in the NBA as well as more and more players become eligible for the Supermax. Talking about more notables in the NL, you have the fall of the Colorado Rockies sitting now at 13th and 15th and either in third or fourth place in their division. Just think they are in fourth, only ahead of the San Francisco Giants at this point. Tough to see is, I mean, maybe we jinxed them, maybe we didn't. We just were talking about them the entire time, how they were one of two teams who has not won their division, along with the Marlins, who are sitting in second place at the moment, still looking at making the playoffs in that second place spot. But, I mean, it was just 
interesting to see with how hot of a start, and you know how we spend a lot of time talking about how it's all about a hot start right now, how they were not able to carry that hot start while other teams had been. Yeah, exactly. You have some teams that got off to a hot start, and then you look at the records like, you know, San Diego, or as you called them, San Diego earlier with all the grand signs they hit this week, they are at 18 and 12. That's half, what, that's half of the season. So the hot start has projected them into somewhere where they're pretty comfortably inside the playoff picture right behind the Dodgers in their division. And they don't necessarily have to ride that streak much longer with only 30 games left in the season. Speaking of more notables, let's talk about one team, one player, and one incident. The San Diego Padres, who hit five grand slams in six days. I didn't give them the nickname, but I love it. They've been christened Slam Diego for the season. That's just incredible. I mean, just the circumstances that have to happen. I mean, first of, first of all, great job getting on base. Yes, of course. Just getting yeah. bases loaded that many times is impressive in that many games, you know? That's crazy. To be able to capitalize on it every time is fantastic. Let's talk a bit about the Fernando Tatis incident. Swinging on a 3-0 count to hit a grand slam when your team is up by eight runs. I mean, you feel the same way I do about it. Pitchers just got to pitch better. Uh, and, and even then, it's like the man is paid to play baseball. And at his, in his status, he is a hitter. So that's what he provides for the baseball team. So why would you go out and just not swing? I'm always going to swing. I'm always going to practice and try to get better at my craft and try to hit any pitch that comes my way. And if they were trying to walk me, then they just should have let the dugout know or threw, it, threw me out way out of bounds. So uh, if the ball's fair, swing on it. If you hit a grand slam, then that's on the other team, not you. I think most competitors feel that way. You, get, you put yourself in that position, you can't complain about the outcome. I mean, absolutely. In, in some incidences, like when it's a time-based game, like football or the NBA, and you're up by so much, there is a certain thing as running up the clock. But baseball, baseball, there's no time limit. It's all about you getting the outs. So there's really no such thing, in my opinion, as running up the score because there's always, there's literally always time for a comeback. Whereas in, like I said, sports with the NBA and NFL, there literally comes to a point where there's no time left for a comeback. Yes, like in the NBA, you hold the ball for the entire shot clock, or in the NFL, you know, you run the ball constantly and just drag out first downs and make the field long and everything like that. And in baseball, the game's not over until the other team gets those last three outs. Exactly it. So, I mean, you swing every time. Like I said, I, I, look, I would look at every opportunity as a batter, as a potential to get better, because when you're at that level competing with those types of pitchers and things like that, you have to want to get better every day. There, you can never stop and be content with your skill set. So why not swing? You know, then the next time you play this guy, oh, he throws this, he throws that. You know, I'm used to that. I swung off that. I hit a homer off that. You, pre you have to practice your craft. So I, I don't see any time I would let off and not go for the homer. So San Diego dominating at 18 and 12. This is all about one more dominating feature in baseball right now. Jose Abreu, seven home runs in the series, four in four consecutive at bats. Just dominating, definitely deserving of that AL Player of the Week for the Chicago White Sox. Cody, take us into another dominating feat in sports. I think that I wanted to bring him real quick is a feat that's happening in NASCAR, which is not one of the most popular sports. Uh, through 25 races this season in a 40 competitor sport, two people, Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick, have won 13 of the 25 races. Kevin <coughs> Harvick with seven, Denny Hamlin with six. The way the points format works in that sport is your wins throughout the year help you get into the final. So those both pretty much solidified themselves as two of the four finalists to compete for the championship this year, and it's barely halfway through the season. So just the absolute domination is, we're not the biggest fans of NASCAR here, but you have to just appreciate, especially they had different circumstances this year too with no practice and qualifying throughout the coronavirus, 
And I think that it's just really impressive to see two people absolutely dominate a sport like that. Let's move into a more dominating area, the NBA Eastern Conference playoffs. Let's talk about how you were exactly right. The series in the West are a lot more interesting in the standings, the way they're sitting, the way they're going. In the East, you already have two teams who have swept, one team who set up the sweep, and another team who was had a rough first game, but we knew we were going to dominate. You want to talk about it? Yeah, I do like the fact that the Celtics and Raptors won. I thought they would. Just, you know, we knew Celtics, Raptors, Heat, and Bucks. Those are just the teams all year that have the big names in the East. And those are just the teams I saw going into the thing. The Celtics and Raptors is going to be a great series. The Nets, you know, love them. They don't have Kyrie and KD. They have a pretty good excuse for not winning this year. They'll be back next year, and they'll probably be pretty tough to beat in the East if those two remain healthy. So, you know, they knew this year wasn't their year. That's fine. Super impressed with the Raptors. Kyle Lowry goes out in the first quarter the other day with an ankle issue. That's the leader of the team. Maybe not from a talent standpoint, but definitely he is the Raptor that you think about when you think about the team. And they score 150 regulation points. They're letting everyone in the NBA know, put them all on notice, that they are still the champs until someone else is, and they are not going to let it go away easy. Then you have the Celtics, of course. They beat the Sixers. I think the big thing about that series is with the Sixers, they've already fired their coach and let him go. You knew that was probably coming. And now I think the 76ers, you know, managers and things can look at that and say, well, we have to pick between Embiid and Simmons because so far they haven't worked together. And why would we keep Embiid when he just got swept? Now, of course, it's not his fault. But I don't think if Embiid was out and Simmons was there with the playmaking that Simmons has, they would have been swept. So I think it's time to make the break and get rid of Embiid. And Embiid also said himself that he might be looking for new places to play. Where would you send him? I mean, I think, I can't remember when his contract situation ends up, but of course, the high of So there's a team somewhere, there's always teams in the bottom of the NBA that are willing to make trades and give up a lot of stuff. And you probably have teams that need a name, just like a big name, like the Knicks. They, all their fans were used to having a pretty decent team, some that they go to Madison Square Garden and can watch. Now the Knicks have nothing. So the Knicks would probably shoot everything they have to get in And I would take it because at the end of the day, a bunch of draft picks and everything like that to go along with a, a pretty solid core in, in uh, Philly would help out. So I think that that would probably be the team that I would look to try to get. Well, it would, it would not only solve their issue of replacing Porzingis at you know the center position, getting them another big man in, but it also, like you said, would give them the name they've been missing since Porzingis and Carmelo. Exactly. Like uh, there's a bunch of Nick fans out there right now that say, hey, you know, uh, I want to buy a jersey, but who? You know, you have, to, you have decent pieces, but you don't know who's going to be there, and there's just been so much change and stuff with the Knicks lately. Basically, ever since Carmelo left, there hasn't been a jersey you can buy. You buy Porzingis' jersey, and then a year later, you're pissed because he's gone. So, it's just, I, I really do feel for Knicks fans. I feel for Stephen A. Smith, you know. The jersey debate, what I am contemplating and dealing with with the Charlotte Hornets at the moment. Mm -hmm. who, who is worth putting on my body? Man, I don't... I don't know. I'm, 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 there's a reason I'm not a Hornets fan. So you know, they're they're uh, they they did seem a little bit more competitive this year, but sometimes you always think that it's just crazy to me to get rid of Kimba. The emergence of Devontae Graham made that a little bit smoother, but still you have like Malik Monk getting in issues with drugs and things like that. So there's always something developing with the, the Hornets. They no. can't seem to get ahead of themselves. 
Some seem to believe Devonta Graham was slighted in not getting nominated for most improved player. I don't know. I mean, I respect it. The stats prove, prove a point with that. It's just the fact that it really is one of those things where it's a market thing. You know, the Charlotte Hornets market just isn't compared to some of these other teams. They don't have as many nationally televised games. You know, the most I we have Fox Sports South here. That's the most Hornets games I've ever seen, and that's just because we happen to live in North Carolina. So people that it's hard for me to catch a Hornets game living here, and I can't imagine how hard it is to catch a Hornets game if I lived in Washington State. All right, back to the playoffs. Talk to me about the Magic stealing Game One and how the Bucks have answered. Well, I think everyone basically that knows anything about basketball knew that the Bucks were going to come back and win the series. I am still very impressed with the Magic for winning the game. I want to give him credit on that. Uh, I think Vucevic is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. He's a great center. Uh, he's more of an old-school old center, so he does have like a little bit of an issue with that, but he can stretch out and shoot. So, you know, he's a really a solid piece in that team. It's just that the Magic every year are the same. They're just, they did the same thing last year. They were right there, like the 8th seed, the 7th seed, I think. They played the Raptors, and they, I think they ended up actually winning two games in that series, but then they, they lost 4-2 to the eventual champions. So you can tell the team has like some grit about them. They have, they, they have pieces that can win games. They just can't sustain it over a series. And it really just comes down to matchups and things like that. And they, as well as everybody else in the league, doesn't have anyone to guard guns. And they're not that great at guarding the three-point line. And that's Milwaukee's best thing is Giannis driving, collapsing. Don't collapse, then that's a layup or a dunk. If you do collapse, it's a kick out. Swing, 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 corner three, and that's how they play basketball. So the Western Conference, game's much closer. The most interesting series to me right now, Dallas and the Clippers. Back and forth at the moment. Really, a lot of people think that game one should have gone to Dallas, but you had the whole incident with Kristaps Porzingis being ejected. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that if Porzingis was to stay in that game, that Dallas would have won game one, which me, of course, being a LeBron guy going for the Lakers, I would have loved to see Dallas be up 3-1 at this point. But at the end of the day, you can't complain about that. Uh, one of the technicals was questionable, but you still have to react better and not put yourself in that position. Those are the cards you were dealt, and Dallas had to respond, and they just didn't in that game. So the Clippers took advantage of that, and that's what I would have done too if I was them. The fact that it's 2-2, I'm still a little worried. I think the Clippers will still come out of the series. I do think Dallas will push it to 7, riding the back of Luka with his 47.17 rebound and 13 assists, triple-double. Crazy. Just to see stuff like that, or 43 points, excuse me. But just to see stuff like that is just insane. Some of the numbers have been put up in these playoffs. I never thought I would see. Every day you have someone who's joined all-time greats in statistics, and it's just a crazy series. If the Clippers do want to win the series, I do think Paul George has to play better. I don't know if he's having a shoulder ailment or what's going on with him, but he's definitely not himself, and that is basically, to me, their only chance of winning the series. If he continues to put up single-digit points, I think Dallas will actually take this up to Series 4-3. Seems like he's having a mentality issue to me, coining himself as playoff P and then struggling ever since then. Like, is he too in his head at the moment, or what's going on there? Well, you see, being a LeBron fan, back when I was following the Heat, there is a thing as playoff P. I've watched Paul George hit dagger threes over and over and over again, all over us, you know, things like that. I don't know if it's injuries or what, but I do think maybe the maybe the backlash you got from saying playoff P, you know, because everyone can just easily bring up, you know, how are you playoff P when you don't have a ring? Or how are you playoff P when you haven't been to the finals? How are you playoff P when Damian Lillard shot a three over your head and sent you out of the playoffs for a crown last year? 
So things like that will mess with the player's mentality, of course, because you make a statement like that and then everybody comes for you and you don't necessarily have a good comeback. Like, yeah, I put up points, but that's not what's looked at in the playoffs. You win or you lose, period. So far in his career, he hasn't done a lot of winning. So the Jazz Nuggets, another interesting series. Donovan Mitchell, of course, being one of my favorite players, dominating last night, but Jamal Murray had something to say about it. Uh, one of the craziest games I've ever seen with the 51-50, the first time it's ever been done in the playoffs. Uh, honestly, this series to me has probably been the best series. Every game coming down to the wire, it seems like, besides game three. Jazz just dominating that one. But I think that Denver will come back and win maybe one more, but Utah will ultimately win in six. They just dug themselves in too much of a hole, and I don't see Donovan Mitchell losing three in a row. I knew Donovan Mitchell was good, but every time he gets on the court, he shows me that he's better than what I thought he was. I, I watched him at Louisville beat up on the Tar Heels twice a year, and I just never thought he would be this type of guy. I knew he was going to be a pretty solid basketball player, but for me to say that I think he would drop 52 times in a playoff series is just outlandish. I've never seen it happen. Joining the likes of Allen Iverson, Will Chamberlain, and Michael Jordan as the only other players who have ever done that. So he's definitely playing at an absolutely great clip right now, and if they didn't cancel him down, then he might be in trouble for whoever he plays in the next round as well. The Jazz up 3-1. Obviously, we think they are going to take the series. Moving into the Rockets and the Thunder, whose game we actually just finished watching. The OKC Thunder winning it to tie the series at 2-2. Chris Paul, pretty decent stat line. But the point that I want to talk about, the Rockets open the second half going 8-for-8 eight eight from the three and then falter. What happened? Are we seeing echoes of the potential championship run versus Golden State when they fell apart trying to shoot too many threes? What's going on with that? The Rockets, I mean, they've been pretty content for three years. I've told everybody they're laying in that bed. They shoot threes. They're going to win or they're going to lose. They're going to live. They're going to die, whatever you want to put it as, with a three-pointer. And like you said, for stretches, they go 8 of 8 from 3 and open it up to like 15 and what had been a five-point game the entire game. But the thing is, you can't be content. Every time they get in the lead, I feel like they get you know, complacent, and they kind of come off of the aggressiveness a little bit. A lot of it is they're missing Westbrook. To me, with Westbrook, he should probably already be back playing. I saw some you know, tape of him from earlier today. I think his mindset was, oh, when you know, the Rockets were up two to nothing, that they were kind of going to steamroll, and maybe he could save up some strength for the Lakers or Blazers, whoever they may face in the next round. And now I think it's, a big time, you know, we need you on the court. We can't win without you because the Thunder have all the momentum in this series. They're a better defensive team, obviously. And as long as they can keep the Rockets at, even when they went 8 of 8 from 3, they still lost the game. So, I mean, as long as they can keep the Rockets in them hands grip, they have some clutch players. Should I go to sell Alexander and his development has been really good? You have Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench as a backup point guard. You have Chris Paul, a veteran leader in the guards. Steven Adams is a great player. Danilo Gallinari is a good sniper. So, I mean, they have the pieces to beat the Rockets for sure. And even the names are kind of equally as good without Westbrook. Now, is Chris Paul a good enough leader to lead the Thunder out of the first round? I think he is. I think um, he really showed that a few years ago when the uh, Clippers played the Spurs and beat them in the playoffs. Basically, it was all him. You know, the other, the other people had kind of phased out a little bit. Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, they weren't playing all that well, which DeAndre Jordan, of course, isn't much of an offensive player anyway, besides getting putback dunks, and we don't want to talk about him at the free throw line. So he and Blake Griffin, they weren't playing that well, and 
Chris Paul basically just said, look, help on my back, I'm gonna take it. We're gonna, he was just hitting game-winning shot after game-winning shot, and just, just so clutch. So I think that he can lead them to the next round, but obviously I don't see him going much further than that. Going back to the Rockets for a quick second and James Harden. I know James Harden can shoot the three. You know James Harden can shoot the three. Everyone knows James Harden can shoot the three. He, he is lights out from three at points, but he also has a great ability to drive. And I'm, I was used to seeing a lot of his points actually coming off the drive at the free throw line. Is there a way for him to go back to doing more of that rather than missing these threes that would help the Rockets? Or do you agree with their mentality to live and die by the three? Well, I, mean, I think a lot of it does come from a lot of the threes do come from his driving ability. No one can ever really press up on him too much because if you press up on him, he has the step back, we all know that, but he also can drive. So he usually has some space. That space that is created by just a natural fear of his drive is what allows him to get a lot of his threes off. But his driving makes him so much more dangerous because it turns him from just a score into what he does best, which is just playmaking on offense, you know? So it's not just him scoring, score, 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 which is when you shoot threes, it's obviously just a solo game. But I just think, honestly, with the Rockets, it's not necessarily that they shoot too many threes. I think it's just a lack of ball movement. A lot of the positions are 15, 16 seconds of just one one ball handler. And then kind of like swinging around and look for a desperation three. And they've been so, you know, trained on that thought of taking threes, they'll take bad threes sometimes. And they just they have to at least look for a better shot and try to get into their sets earlier. Um, you can't wait until single digits and try to make your play in every time. I just don't think that's the best way to play basketball. And moving on to the last series in the West, the series that you have your eye on as we get ready to watch Game 4 tonight, the Lakers and the Trailblazers. The Trailblazers snuck by and got Game 1 to honestly nobody's surprise as everybody thought this would be a back and forth series with as good as Damian Lillard is. But the Lakers and pull out. how bad Lakers True. But the Lakers have pulled out, won the next two. Where does the series go from here? I think that with a win tonight, the Lakers will win 4-1. Uh, I do think that two of the next three games will be the Lakers, and they'll close it out in six at the worst. I think that Trailblazers are really good. I almost think that what got them is playing so hard to get into the playoffs. The first few games, they've been very fatigued almost. You know, after ever since that first game, they were riding high on the adrenaline. They had just come off of beating Memphis, and they were happy just to be in the playoffs. And the Lakers just weren't woke up yet, you know. And they came in the first game, and halfway through, the Lakers tried to make a little comeback, but it was just too late. The Trailblazers owned that game. They won it fair and square. That's that. But now, game two and game three, you have people like Nurkic, who are obviously just winded. I've, I've not seen him making much like run back on defense and things like that. And I think a lot of it is just the push they had to make. Kind of like a lot of people say the year that the Warriors went 73 and 9, they might have expanded too much of their energy and are expended too much of the energy in the regular season to get that record and not been focusing on the main thing, which was the title. And that could have been part of what led to the Cavaliers beating them that year. You never know. So there's, a, there's an obvious mental and physical wear and tear of playing a professional sport and the pressure behind you. And I think Portland just turned that gas switch on a lot earlier than some of these other playoff teams are, where now as the Lakers kind of just now want to play their prime, you know, their best ball, the Trailblazers have been playing that for 10 games. So in one way, they do have some momentum built up with the shooting and things like that because they've been playing at this clip for a while. But on another thing, they're just tired. They've been working hard. So, I mean, I get it. It's, it sucks. The playoffs are every other day and you're in a bubble. and It's not necessarily the same probably as what it usually is, your recovery period and things like that. 
but everyone's playing with the same disadvantage. So at the end of the day, no one's going to look back and give you that as an excuse. Damian Lillard hurting his finger and seeming very frustrated at the end of the last game. Does he have it in him to turn that gas switch back on, light a fire under the Trailblazers, and get them back into the fight? I mean, of course he does. He's that, he's that type of player. He's a player who can win a series by himself. He's practically done it in the, in the past. I thought that last year with the uh, Warriors not having KD was probably the Trailblazers' best chance to break through the title. And I do think a Trailblazers healthy and Raptors healthy series last year would have been a lot better than the one we saw in the finals. And I, I don't know if it was the mentality or what, but they kind of just seemed like they cut off when they played the Warriors. I mean, of course, without KD, the Warriors team is so great. But I thought that they had a chance to beat them. And I think that their window's closing with the, eight, the free agents and stuff like that. And overall, the Trailblazers kind of had to see what they want to do. And they still have a solid team, and they'll be back next year. But, of course, with Damian Lillard, you have a chance. You always will. He's probably a top five, top ten player in the NBA. And in my opinion, the best point guard. A healthy Curry might have something to say with that, but we just haven't seen that in a while. So I think that it'll be interesting to see how they do next year, but for now, I don't think this is their year. All right, we've done it before. We're going to do it again. Take me through the NBA playoffs as they stand right now. As you think the first round is going to end up being. All right, so the Bucks Magic series, like I said, good story with the Magic in the first game. Great to see them break through and get a win. I see the Bucks 4-1 winning that series. The Heat are up 3-0 on the Pacers. I thought it would be a really good series, but the Heat will obviously win. They might not sweep them, but at most maybe five. The Celtics and Raptors have already swept, so we know where they're going, and they're destined to play each other, which I think is, like I said earlier, going to be an absolutely fantastic series, one of the best this year. With the West, I think that the Clippers will pull out the win against Dallas, probably in a game seven, and I just think that it'll come down to who's been there and done that, and there's more players in the Clippers who have been there and done that. I also do want to point out, though, with the emergence of how good Luke is playing, it has speeded up Dallas's championship window, and I think looking into next year, if they can get a decent free agent, they will be a contender. With Utah and Denver, again, Denver just too much in a hole. Very close games. I think they'll win one more. I just don't see them being able to win three in a row, and I think Utah will take that series. OKC and the Rockets is the hardest one for me, but I think with Westbrook returning, the Rockets will come back and win that series. And then the Lakers-Portland series, a little bit of bias, of course. I'm, I'm going to pull for my Lakers to win that. So I do. I think that along with me pulling for them, they will just actually win the series, and they're a better team, especially defensively. All right. So to end the NBA discussions, talk to me about the NBA lottery and how that's going to shape things to come next season. Well, one, I really like the new format. I like how they've gotten rid of the tanking system that the 76ers use, and obviously they put their fingers through all those tough years and they're just putting them through more, so it didn't really work out anyway. But I'm glad you can't just actively lose basketball games to get a better position because it's just no one wants to watch that. Oh, you know, who are you playing tonight? Oh, we're playing the team that's intentionally losing this year to get the first draft pick. Like, tanking was an awful thing for sports. And they need to do a good job of getting rid of that in any way, shape, or form they can. So I like the new way there is where, obviously, the worst teams still have a higher chance, because that's how it should be. I mean, you want the worst teams to get better and have an overall evenness throughout the sport, the best you can control without free agency and stuff. So I like the way it is. The Knicks fall all the way to eighth in the lottery. Just can't seem to catch a break with this new lottery scheme. Uh, last year, really won Zion, and they ended up with the third pick and getting this 
wingman or the bear can do. Uh, so, Knicks fans, again, they, they hate the lottery. I think it's good. I think that it'll be interesting just to me, really, the big the names this year aren't that big. A lot of that had to do with like a shortened college season. I'll, no one realizes how much college players make their name in that tournament. The tournament is one of the most like followed and loved and biggest sports events ever. And that's where a lot of college players make their name and get up a hot climb draft boards. Like for instance, uh, Cameron Johnson last year. No one really saw him as a first round draft pick. And they had him listed like 59th or 60th best. So right at the end of the second half of the second draft coming from UNC. Well, in the national tournament, instead of just you know playing in our little local East Coast games or whatever, in the national tournament, they saw his ability to spread the floor, shoot the three, play the, you know, the big three or maybe even a small four sometimes on that type of lineup, maybe a stretch four. And he got drafted all the way in the 20th by the Suns and ended up being one of their better scorers over their eight game stretch in the bubble. So that's where you can make your name. That's where you can emerge as a real threat. So the names aren't that big. And really, I'm just excited to see who gets taken. You know, LaMelo Ball is obviously the most intriguing name. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it, it's interesting even in that light, because two of the top three projected picks either didn't play at all in LaMelo or had some incidents go down where they left their school as within James Wiseman and Memphis, both projected in the top three. So, you know, you wouldn't have gotten to see them in the tournament no matter what, and yet they're still top picks because we didn't get to see anybody else in the tournament. Yeah, there was, there was no late emergence this year type of thing. It was kind of going into the year, the top five had James Wiseman and LaMelo Ball. And with the lack of what we saw, they stayed. And that might that might be the way it should have been, but you never know. I think it'll be really interesting. The second round of the draft this year, and even some of the undrafted people that get brought in, will could even outdo some of the first rounders, which they always do, but even more so this year, where you just see names that we haven't heard of, haven't seen of, you know, kind of see in the spotlight. Um, I like Anthony Edwards' game from Georgia, but there's also some things that need to be worked on there. He's kind of a raw prospect. Uh, he can definitely score and stuff like that. And he's got a big body. He's got a good size for the position. But I think that you know him being a top three overall draft pick just shows that this draft class is kind of weaker, and that's fine. Not every draft class is going to blow your head off when you see it. So I, I, I'm excited to see how it goes next year. I think the NBA will be interesting, especially with the way free agency is going to be this year. It's going to be different. The season is going to be a lot quicker back than it usually is with it being so delayed. I think it'll be overall a really good season, and I'm always excited to watch the basketball. Of course, his entire family has been interesting to watch the entire time. They've been going through their college, high school, college, and NBA journeys. Does LaMelo Ball warrant the number one pick? And we'll talk about this more later as the draft comes up. I think that he does. Uh, he's shown, he's played a professional, you know, kind of like Luke. Like, he wasn't at Luke's level, obviously. I'm not comparing him. But he plays at a professional capacity. You've experienced it. You're playing with other grown men. You know, you're not playing with a bunch of college kids that are 18, 19, and, you know, everyone thinks they're a hot shot, stuff like that. You're playing with grown 35-year-old men who have been professional basketball players for their entire lives, probably since they're, like, 14 or 15. That's kind of how they do it overseas and stuff like that. So you get, you learn some things you might not necessarily learn in college. You know, you learn the, the way of life. Maybe that's not going to be as much of a change for him. Uh, it's more of what you associate with the middle ball, like you said, his family and his dad's antics and things like that, that you would maybe get in the way. But the talent's definitely there. I can see him being well-deserved of one day. Well, in situations like that, playing overseas and playing with these older, you know, players, 
we see an extraordinary level of maturity and respect out of Luka Doncic. I mean, just even with the most recent incident with Montrezl Hare, is it blows me away the maturity that he has. He's younger than us. Yes, and he's literally younger than us, and he's very mature. Like you said, he's very well spoken, and a lot of people made something over him standing over uh, Montrez after. But all he said to Montrez was, "Stop flopping." That's all he said to him, and that's at, that's keeping his composure after being called what Montrez Harrell called him. So, like you said, the fact that he went over to him before the game, accepted his apology, they both moved on and just said nothing but respect to each other, and then responds with that type of game yesterday. Man, just that mindset. Do you think that that kind of maturity has found its way into Lamelo after all of the, you know, the immature, just taunting, the ridiculous, unnecessary logo half court shots in high school? Do you think that he's developed that sort of maturity while playing overseas? I think it's definitely helped. Like he might not be as mature as Luca, but you can't expect every young man to be Luca. You know, he's one of the greatest young players we've ever seen in the league to come on this strong at this age. So not everyone's going to be looking at Dunchik. No one in this draft's going to be looking at Dunchik. And I just, I think that it will help that he played overseas and kind of got away from the stuff. But I mean, I understand where he's coming from. At that time, he was probably like 14 or 15. His name's everywhere then because of his dad, his brother. And his name gets everywhere and he's like on TV and they have like a TV show and all that. And it probably, you know, went to his head like what any younger kid is doing. With the, he's on the, the testosterone high. He's still growing, and he's just like, oh, you know, I'm the king of the world. That's probably what he felt like, which is fine. And I think that not only him aging a little bit will help, but over being overseas and in a grown community, I think helped out a lot with his career. I think it was a good move for him, honestly. And we saw how college worked out for his brother. So not uh, not the one in the NBA. I'm talking about Leangelo here. So we saw how that works. And, um, yeah. Well, and again, a lot of what Leandro went through was a maturity thing exactly. that he just did not have. And he didn't have, and he didn't go, he went to UCLA and he didn't have the best surroundings, and now he is, who knows where, no one talks about him. Well, it was interesting because Leandro was always the quintessential middle brother. He yeah. was the overshadowed for good reason by both Lonzo and LaMelo. Yes. And then, you know, he goes through his entire high school career having to play with those two and always being the third wheel. Always being the third wheel. Messes up his chance to get away from that at UCLA with Lonzo gone and LaMelo not there yet. Has to go play overseas with his brother where he is once again overshadowed. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's still a solid basketball player. He's, a, he's decent. He was probably never going to be an NBA player. Uh, and, and that's fine. Neither, that's an insult to some people, but that's fine. Neither am I. 60 people get drafted every year. And then you have a handful of undrafted people. 60 people in the world get drafted each year. That's it. In that level of basketball, you know, if there's no insult there at all to not get drafted. All right, moving into our weekly Instagram pool. This one comes from Pro Football Stuff, and it is the top 10 teams of the decade. But before we get into that, Cody, you would ask me a question. You would ask me, have any of the teams on the list besides the Patriots won more than one Super Bowl in the decade? So we're going to quickly go through the list of Super Bowl winners from 2010 to 2019. The best we can. As much as we can remember. We're going to have Logan, if you would, pull up a list of Super Bowl winners from the decade. 
So in 2010, we had already established that that was the Green Bay Packers winning Aaron Rodgers' first title, the Packers' first title outside the Brett Favre era. 2011. I think that it would be best to backtrack, probably. That's so you want to go from 20... I think we should start yeah. with 2019. Well, that one's pretty obvious. That'd be the Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs. Me and Hunter's uh, least favorite team, just in case anyone did not. Then you have, in what was quite possibly the most boring Super Bowl of my lifetime, the Patriots beating the Rams. Yeah, that was a boring one. What was it, 12-3 to 3 or something? Um, yeah, something along those lines. It was... <clears throat> 10-3 forever. No, 13-3 was the final score. It was 10-3 mm-hmm. forever. Patriots sealed it at the end with a, with a field goal. Just the Rams with the offensive excitement that year, and that turned into nothing. And it was just great game scheming by Bill Belichick again, defensive mastermind, and probably the greatest defensive mastermind in history of football. Moving right from the most boring to one of the most exciting Super Bowls of my lifetime, the Eagles taking down the Patriots with Nick Foles winning Super Bowl MVP. Unforeseen, but it was an awesome series with just or an awesome game with the Eagles coming in wearing the underdog mask and all the hype and everything about the Eagles winning the first Super Bowl and the Patriots being the people that are always there and oh can they overcome that and they did and they won it and it was a super exciting game one of the funnest ones to watch Nick Foles and Tom Brady both with absolutely just nuts statlines monster statlines. And of course, we got to see Tom Brady drop a pass and Nick Foles execute the mo- the iconic Philly special. It was just crazy how they both called that play and it just worked for the Eagles. It kind of just showed you right in there that it was just meant to be. That was the Eagles game. Next. The year before was the Patriots. The Patriots' heartbreaking defeat of the Atlanta Falcons. You know, my girlfriend is a Falcons fan. Watching that on the couch next to her was excruciatingly painful. I just, I don't even want to talk about it. Let's move on. Next yeah, shout out to Erica's team for being the most choking team in the history of the Super Bowl. Next was the Denver Broncos beating the, also from the NF, NFC South, Carolina Panthers in a just... Defensive battle. I would call it that. I at least got a little bit of entertainment out of that game. A lot of it was just following <coughs> Peyton Manning's last game. Everyone knew it was his last rodeo. And Such a bad season stat-wise for him. I and know. Then, and even the Super Bowl wasn't all that great. He just made the plays he needed to make. You have a defensive player winning Super Bowl MVP. So it was a very, just, it was just a struggle of a game. That year with Peyton Manning was Mr. Plancher Fasciitis. Yeah. It was Mr. It was Mr. something. Because for a while it was Mr. Osweiler. So, yeah. It was, it was pretty rough. Next, the 2014 Super Bowl. Was that the, that was the Patriots' defeat of the Seahawks, wasn't it? I think so. I do believe so. I think the Patriots won the year. Patriots, that was their that was their third and final Super Bowl of the decade. Logan, how are we looking so far? You guys have been right so far. Good deal. So we have a little bit of memory over here. And then, of course, if that was the year the Patriots beat the Seahawks, the year before was the year the Seahawks absolutely <coughs> destroyed the Broncos. I mean, slightly not entertaining just because of how big of a blowout it was. 43-8. Yeah. The game started with a safety, a snap over the head of Peyton Manning. You do have to give it credit for not, it was obviously a horrible game, but you do have to give it credit for just being a crazy game, like punt return, kick return touchdown, you had like an interception touchdown, safety over the head for a score, just anything that could go wrong went wrong for the Broncos. Completely different season from the one where they win the Super Bowl. They have the best offense in the league, and they show up and just, you know, 
ship the bed and the Super Bowl, and then they have the best defense in the league one year and they win. So it shows the defense does win championships. 2012 was the Harbaugh Bowl. The Baltimore Ravens defeating the San Francisco 49ers in a, in you know what, a uh, lights out game. Yeah, lights out. Uh, with, in my opinion, the least deserving quarterback in my life that has won a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco. I just, I've never been a Flacco guy. I thought when the Ravens gave him a contract, they got basically they're lucky they picked up Lamar Jackson because they were stuck in a bad spot forever until they could find someone else. So. Lamar Jackson definitely the savior of the Ravens. If I was a Ravens fan, I'd have a jersey. And that, of course, was um, Ray Lewis's last season. Retired on top. Now has now become a great commentator for the sport. And if you really look at that, you see like you you see some trends like the Ray Lewis 2012 retires on top. You got Peyton Manning in 2015 retires on top. Yeah, 2017 the Eagles probably Nick Foles' biggest moment of his career, going from a guy who never really was a starter except for <coughs> the Eagles way back in the day. To a guy that wins the Super Bowl MVP, just crazy. And into unfortunately 2019, Patrick Mahomes establishing himself as the best quarterback in the league. Something we already knew was going to happen eventually, but happened a lot quicker than we all thought it would. And I struggled with it when we first started talking about 2011. That would be Eli Manning's second Super Bowl win against the Patriots, the New York Giants. And unfortunately for Giants fans worldwide, there hasn't been much of nothing since. <laughs> They might have won more that season than they ever will. And number one, I believe I was right with the Green Bay Packers winning in 2010. Against two. Who did the Green Bay Packers beat that year? The Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Correct. Big Ben going for, what, at that point, Super Bowl number three? Yep. They had the O. He had the 06. O six. O six, I believe. 09. No, nine was the Saints. Saints. Had to be a, yeah, had to be 08 because 2007 would have been the year that Colts. the. Colts. So, I think 08 was Colts. 07 might have been Steelers. You know, one of those years had to be the year that the Giants beat the undefeated oh, Patriots. Correct. So I don't know. I know um, the big. February, you know, you know, here's, here's, on 2010, it was the New Orleans Saints and the Indian, Indianapolis Colts for 31 to 17. The Saints won. Yes. Okay. Yes. In 2010. So that would have been the 2009 season because that's how we're yeah. going. So 2009 season, the same. So 2008 season would have been the Steelers, I guess. The year before would have been the Giants. The year before that would have been the Colts. Mm-hmm. And the year before that would have been the Steelers' first one. Yes. Well, their fifth one yeah. in franchise history. Yeah. All right, but into the Instagram pool, as I, as I said, from pro football stuff, Cody, the top ten teams of the decade. This is based on Super Bowl titles, Overall record, division titles, and postseason record. Hmm, okay. That's, that's a lot of criteria jammed into one. I'm going to go and start off with the easy one that everyone who follows football knows. The number one is probably the Patriots. It is the New England Patriots. 125 and 35. Can you guess how many division titles? Um, well, let's see. A decade is what? 10 years? So, 10 division titles. 10 division titles. And a 16 and 7 postseason record. Absolutely dominant. A dynasty like none we may never see again in football. And if you look back a decade before, it doesn't look much different. It doesn't look much different. Another three Super Bowls in that one, so I'm sure they would probably be the number one team of that decade as well. I'm trying to think about other teams that have been really consistently good. The Seahawks have been really consistently good throughout. I would probably say. 
I'll probably say Seahawks number two. The Seahawks are number two, 159 with one tie. Do you know how many division titles? Okay, so we have the 49ers with at least two. The Rams got one. Let's say six. Four division titles. Four. And a 10 and seven postseason record. Should be <coughs> 11 and six. Yeah. Well, you have, I mean, Malcolm Butler made the play. He did. He did. I will tell you, three of the teams on this list did not win a Super Bowl in the decade. Yeah, I mean, you only have what? Let's see. Let's do a quick count. So we have Packers, Giants, Ravens, Seahawks, Patriots, Broncos. So we only have seven winners on here. And then also you have some winners on here who don't really deserve to be a best team of the decade, even though they won a Super Bowl. So... I think that we'll see some kind of interesting things going on. All right, so you've got the Patriots at number one and the Seahawks at number two. I'm trying to think. I'm, I mean, the Broncos have been pretty consistent. The Packers are always around. They've won a Super Bowl. The Steelers are pretty consistent. They didn't win a Super Bowl. We'll play on the teams that got in. That one and one. It's tough. The Ravens are there. I'm going to say Ravens. The Ravens are the number four team of the decade. Four, okay. So, a 98 and 62 record. Division titles? I think early 2000s, early 2010s, the Bengals did win in the, the division one time. Other than that, it's probably been a pretty clean split between Steelers and Ravens. I'm going to give the Ravens four. Four division titles and a 7 and 5 postseason record. Alright, so you've got the one, two, and four spots filled in. Where are you going from here? I'm going to try to get that third one. I'm going to say it's probably one of the names I already said. I'm going to say that the Steelers are there. The Steelers are the number five team of the decade. Number five, okay. 102, 102, 56, and two ties. Division titles? Did they win five or did they win four? I'm going to say five. They won four division titles. Four, okay, so the Bengals must have got two. With a five and six postseason record, they could not get it done in the postseason. Not get it done, no. They are indeed one of the teams who did not win a Super Bowl on the list. The first two things that come to mind when I think about the Steelers, I always associate them together, is the fact that the Steelers had Antonio Brown, Big Ben, and Le'Veon Bell, and didn't win a title. And the Thunder had Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, and didn't win a title. Just makes me sick of so. Sometimes big threes just don't cut it. They just don't cut it. Still looking for that number three team. The number three team has got to be the Packers, then. It is the Packers, oddly enough, with the exact same record as the Steelers at 102, 56, and 2. It's always interesting when you see 13 years of football, two people have the same record. Well, it's like the UNC Duke series, yeah. which is over the last, what, 150 100, games? Yeah, it's like 104 games were 52 and 52, something like that. Well, we have 52 wins. I'm not even going to associate we with Duke. I'm not doing that. Uh, how many division titles did the Packers get? Well, let's see. They have more than four. Because the Vikings maybe have two, but like I always say, the Vikings have the better team, but don't have Aaron Rodgers. And the Bears, they, can, they might think they won one. So I'm going to say they have six. Six division titles is correct, with a 10-6 and six postseason record and one Super Bowl out of it. So, one through five are filled in. Bottom half of the list, what you got? 
I think it's the Broncos had a Super Bowl appearance and a Super Bowl loss. So they won one, they lost one, they've been decent. They have to be somewhere in here, so I'll say Broncos. The number seven team of the decade, the Denver Broncos, with a 89 and 71 record, five division titles, and a six and four postseason record. Makes sense. They won half they won the division half the uh year so I was gonna make you feel. Disgusted. Let's see. Okay, the Giants are a Super Bowl team that I don't think made this list. You'd be correct. So they won a Super Bowl, but they didn't make the list. The Chiefs might be a Super Bowl winner that also didn't make the list. I don't know if they did. If they did, I would say they're the tenth best team. They are the eighth best team. Eighth, okay. At ninety-six and sixty-four. The reason I'm upset about the Broncos' five division titles is because the Chiefs have the other five. <laughs> yeah, so our two teams are left by the wayside. Anyone that doesn't know, Hunter is a diehard Chargers fan, and I am a diehard now Vegas Raiders fan. That it shows you because we've been to the playoffs. It shows you how many times we've been to the playoffs as a wild card team. Yeah, every time. That's the tough thing about our division is we play well and we're still wild card. And the Chiefs have one Super Bowl, posting a five and six postseason record. So three teams to Patrick go. Mahomes really elevated them last year into this uh, discussion. Oh yeah, three teams to go. So, the Eagles probably not in the top ten. They could be, I don't know, let's say Eagles are ten. Eagles are the number nine team of the decade. Nine, okay. With a 87 and 73 record. Four division titles and a four and four postseason record with one Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean the Super Bowl. So what does that mean? Prior, pri prior to winning that Super Bowl, they were one and three in the postseason. Uh, yeah, they have been there and lost pretty much every first game. And prior to winning that Super Bowl, they never had one, so they validated their franchise with that. Two teams left. Neither one has won a Super Bowl in the decade. Trying to think of teams that have been super consistent and been division winners. That takes everyone in New England's division into consideration. <laughs> so at least that helps. Well, you're missing one pretty obvious one. And one... I'm going to say maybe the Saints are in there. The Saints are the number six team of the decade. That makes sense. You just have... I mean, even though you didn't win a circle, you do have the same quarterback for 10 years. And he is a top three quarterback pretty much the whole way. 160. That's an average of 10 and 6. For the crazy, decade, crazy. four division titles and four and six in the postseason. That's the real thing. They clearly still for the Saints in this last decade, ever since the one year where they won, you know, great, great year, great story. But they just can't get it done. They can't. Every year you think they're going to be the number one playoff team, or you think they're going to be the team from the NFC representing the Super Bowl, and it just doesn't happen. With the last one, it's kind of just throwing it out there. So I'm gonna take a couple guesses and maybe the Colts. Nope. The Vikings. I really do not know. This team is the 49ers. Yes. I was okay. about to say this team has been to two Super Bowls and lost both of them. I just thought of that at the last second. And what team has been to Super Bowls and lost? And I started looking at that Ravens and Kansas City Chiefs and remember they've been twice. Coming in at technically over five hundred at eighty, seventy-nine and one. Wow. Three division titles and a seven and four postseason record without a Super Bowl. Oh, sick. So those are your top ten teams of the decade. Thanks for joining us today. That's all the time we have. Remember your hurricane your music is brought to you by Hurricane Music. 
If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at podcast.onthewall at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, and SoundCloud.